Hello, this is RPGamer.com, uh, Jonathan Stringer, and I'm here interviewing uh, Dancing Dragon Games developer Phil Hamilton, who has just recently released uh, Symphony of War, the Nephilim Saga. Uh, how you doing today, Phil? Good, how are you? Uh, doing great. Uh, talked to Phil the other day, I've uh, been playing uh, this new game, uh, saw some recommendations in some of the social media I... Uh, uh, regularly uh, follow and look like it's right up my alley. Jumped in and it, really been enjoying it so far. Uh, I haven't quite beaten it, uh, but I'm probably I, I'm feeling like I'm maybe halfway, a little over halfway through. Um, so I was gonna toss it over you, give you a chance to uh, give us an overview and description of the game from uh, your uh, your point of view. Right. Well. Uh... So my partner and I, we've been making games for what, 12 years um, on the side. This is the first game where we've fully dedicated our, our lives. I actually um, resigned from my job and just completely threw myself into this one. Uh, we started making an engine for a uh, strategy RPG uh, uh, game engine, basically, in RPG Maker. Uh, and, you know, people... People's jaws can hit the floor when they hear RPG Maker, but um, it's it's done after six years. Uh, it took a while, um, and there's very little RPG Maker left in the game. You can barely notice uh, that it was made in the engine because it's all just been covered up by um, this custom engine that we got now. Um, you know, we're inspired. It's inspired by the greats. You know, if I could name a few, we've got Ogre Battle is a really, really big one. People are immediately clinging to as, oh, this is the devs probably like this game. And yes, guilty is charged. Um, we've got Soul Nomad, Vistaria Saga. We've got um, Advance Wars in there. We've got Heroes of Might and Magic in there. Um, and you know, a very, very popular uh, <laughs> SRPG series that uh, starts with F, uh, that we all know what that is. So, um, And it ended up becoming kind of its own thing. Like, I name all those games, but I think a lot of people have actually, you know, backed up that you know, this isn't a Ogre Battle clone. It's just Symphony of War. It's just kind of a new thing. And, um, you know, the reception has been insane. Uh, you know, it's it's been really, really cool. So we definitely know now we can continue on and, make more and make it a whole series so that'd be great yeah uh when it was first introduced or what so i saw someone say oh it's this new ogre battle game and i'm playing it definitely see the ogre battle um connections there you know obviously with the battle and the, and the, the way that's done but to me yeah. like you said the game starts with that it really feels most similar to a fire emblem game and, and most of the aspects at least from my point of view yeah, I mean, if yeah, depending on the person you ask, you get you get that you get Ogre Battle. You sometimes you get um, Soul Nomad. I don't know if you've ever heard of that that I, one. I have it. I own it. It's. I think I have. I still haven't played it yet. Shamefully. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah, I see that. So, uh, besides yourself, or I guess you could describe to you what you've done. Uh, can you <clears> give <throat> us an overview of the development team and who's who kind of did what to to make this game? Yeah. So. Um, so the concept um, was, you know, mostly my vision put to life by my my partner, uh, Mithrin, who, um, you know, so I really call it, like, not mine or his, but we, we came up with it. It couldn't happen without him. Um, 
But uh, so I did the story, I did the music, I did the level design. Um, basically, a lot of the design decisions and all that stuff. Um, and my programmer did the programming, uh, kind of kind of like the the uh, engine level stuff, like the under the hood stuff, right? right? And um, you know, I guess I, I largely after the story was written and the cutscenes were made and the levels were made and the music was written and all the art was made, um, I basically then functioned as a project manager. I was interfacing with contractors, mostly art contractors, because that's the one skill um, I can edit stuff pretty good and and you know, especially because I have to uh, resize things and edit things to have them fit into the game as game assets. But original art is a skill that neither of us really have in terms of like a like a really refined professional skill. So we hire out for that. So you know, I I manage those relationships and I manage the business um, and the relationship with our publisher, Freedom Games, and all that stuff. So okay, great. So really, it's mostly a two man show then, huh? Yeah. Other than other than hiring out for like sprites, portraits. Um, a little bit of voice acting. It is almost entirely just myself and him. Yep. Wow. So I guess that's why it took six years. It's a, it's a ton of work. It's a very uh, seems like a it very is. large, rich game. A lot of text. So it seems. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which... Yeah. We're we're actually working on translating it now. Maybe most likely. Uh, but a lot of text in it, so that that becomes a monumental challenge. Uh, definitely. What any what languages are you uh, planning to translate it? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, can't make promises yet, but the plan is um, French, Italian, German, Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, Korean, Japanese, Chinese. Wow. It'll be in 10 languages, those plus English, and when all is said and done. If we succeed in this, this uh, effort that we can't, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. So, Well, good luck in that. <laughs> um, so you, you. you said you wrote the story. What Besides the, you know, we already talked about the inspirations of Ogre Battle and Fire Emblem and Soul Nomad, but what other, did you have any other inspirations or, or ideas and such for the story and the setting and the plot and all that? Or <clears throat> Yeah, so I'm going to point to um, Fire Emblem uh, for Genealogy of the Holy War. You familiar? Yes. Yeah, uh, so... <laughs> If you've if you've played Symphony of War, you definitely see. Oh, okay, okay, okay. This is definitely a genealogy, a little bit from other entries, but um, the whole, you know, how in genealogy you have the um, Holy Blood, the Holy Crusaders, and you have different generations, um, and you have kind of this ancient lore um, that is tied directly to those Holy Crusaders, and that's kind of the linchpin for the whole story is just. Um, bad guys messing around with those those bloodlines basically, and it's not really that as much as it's not like bloodlines as much as it is just a, kind of a divine metaphysical aspect of of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the plot is very similar. It's a political struggle, um, largely enhanced and and uh, in the backdrop of that kind of divine struggle between. Um, a godlike evil and a godlike good, and uh, for most of the game, though, it, it is largely just a war game. It's it's uh, you know you're fighting a rebellion, then you're fighting in a civil war, and then you're um, fighting a desperate 
um, you, then you are a rebellion for a little bit, and then you become a massive army, and then you become the big boy around, uh, in the block. Um, and so, yeah, there you go. All right, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty engaging so far. Uh, I'm liking it. Don't want to spoil anything, though, but uh, for those who yeah. get to check it out. So you, you said uh, six, six years of development time. Uh, what, what were some of the biggest challenges uh, you, you faced and overcame, maybe in general, or if you have any uh, an example or two that's that would be that we'd find interesting? Um, I think the challenge was just how long it took for the engine to actually get done. Um, you know, to to write the script and to make the cutscenes and to write the music, basically everything I had to do, it probably only took about two years. Um, but the, the rest of the engine was a, a larger undertaking to say the least. And so, um, what happened in those extra time in between was revision after revision after revision. So this game actually kind of luckily benefited from a lot more time. Than I think a game usually gets for things like the writing and the character development and level design, level design got lots of revisions in that time um and you know right writing okay let me just put it out there i'm working on that skill I, i've gotten a lot better in this game and, and and i think in the next game you'll see a big improvement there mm -hmm. um it hasn't been my focus before this game really like i, I mostly are like make a plot to just be an excuse for the game to happen. <laughs> and then the gameplay is where, you know, the meat, the rubber hits the road. Uh, now, and, and so keeping that in mind, uh, the level design has definitely been a focus. And so I was able to really put tons and tons of, of uh, my best creative energy into that, um, the level design part. So, you know, hopefully that, <laughs> that comes across in the gameplay end. No, I, I see that, and uh, I think it has come across. It looks like a lot of care has been too. And I would say uh, the writing's been pretty solid too, at least from especially compared to uh, a lot of this game's inspirations and those '90s Japanese RPG stories. I think this one adds, uh, you know, has depth to it. I, I would say, you know, there are times it's maybe hit or miss, and like you said, it's you learning how to be a writer. But overall, I feel it's it's very solid. Um, probably the one thing that may, if you want any kind of critique i guess part of this interview would be the the relationship stories while some of them are good they seem a little disjointed sometimes from the main story and maybe it's just mm. the nature of those things that it's hard to tie those in but other than that i mean i think it's a it's a great job so far yeah so i think one of the right and i don't disagree with that at all i think one of the challenges um of having this really open-ended relationship system with a linear story is i had to kind of kind of so you see hey you have an, an outdated conversation feature mm -hmm. um and then there are some events in the story which actually prevent um you know the, the bond from happening because of story events and so um yeah that that is that is a challenge to juggle that but i think what we wanted to do is sacrificing a little bit of story immersion and and uh, suspension of disbelief for giving the player the uh, you know ultimate flexibility in who they um, you know who they pair off. 
But yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And I guess, spoiler alert, there is like romances in the game. Uh, I'm not really sure how, yeah. or maybe it's not clear how the some of those bonds happen because I was just playing along. I read my convos, you know, each battle when they came up, and then suddenly I had a romance and I'm with this person and I didn't even know how it happened. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so Fire Emblem has, I think, trained a lot of uh, SRPG players that you kind of need to grind, um, like affinity. And uh, there's there's nothing like that in this game. It, uh, you know, we we really focus on removing things that are not fun. And uh, I I thought always I always thought that was not very fun. Um, and so it's very very simple in this game. It's just story progress and progressing through the conversations. Gotcha. That's that's literally it. Okay. So how do you how would you pick which person you romance? So that, do you have to like be closer to them in battle or fight or just happen to click on their stories? Nope. It's literally just story progress and then go through the conversations. Like you, you get to chapter six and then this conversation opens up and then the conditions for the bond eventually is like get to chapter 18 or whatever. And then you've watched this conversation and that's literally it. Ah, gotcha. Okay. And once you bond off, then those two characters are excluded from anybody else for the rest of the game. Okay, so I wanted to, I'll jump back over to the gameplay. Uh, you said a lot of attention's been put there, uh, the combat and all that. And how, to me, always one of the most challenging things to do in the game is uh, AI. So yeah, how much effort was put into there, and how did you how how tough was it to get the enemy AI just right? <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean this AI was kind of like the the frosting of the cake. Uh, it was uh, the one of the last features that we had going uh, pre-launch, um, and we are actually still, uh, folks, you know, it's still on our roadmap to refine the AI. Like they still do a couple of weird things, like they they choose odd attack types and all that. Um, but um, I actually think that AI went swimmingly well. We created a, a rough draft and then. We went into early beta testing, and um, players liked the rough draft a lot. <laughs> and um, so we, you know, we kind of went with the rough draft and continued to iterate on it. Uh, we did make a lot of improvements to it um, before the end of the closed beta. Uh, so those did make it into the full launch. But, um, but yeah, important point. Yep, yeah, that's roadmap is continuing AI refinement. So that it gets smarter, so the game will get a little harder. Yeah, it feels like definitely, um, well, you have the threat mechanic, which is supposed to, to, to help decide, uh, I guess, if you have multiple targets, which which of your troops is the enemy will attack, correct? So that is actually something you can predict um, almost with absolute certainty uh, based on the threat rating of a squad. Mm-hmm. Um, if the enemy can go for the lowest, they will. Uh, so if you have... Like it's it's basically like a measure of how scary the the squad is to other people, you know. Um, so am I going to go attack this twenty thousand threat rating versus this five thousand? Yeah, of course I'm going to go to the five thousand one. So that is an absolute predictor, currently. Yeah. Does your threat lower if one of the units in your uh, your party dies? Yeah. Yeah. Or it adjusts. The, okay. That's what I. Then there's an item called a noisy cricket, which. Um, which, what does that do? It's it's a flat value um, that adjusts up or down. <laughs> I wish Justin was with me for this. I think bit. it makes them attack your party more. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It it adjusts down the threat rating artificially in the kind of a hidden way so that um, a really high threat squad has the potential to attract more attacks than it normally would have. Yeah. Yeah, because I could tell if one of my units starts to get beat up a little bit, they just swarm them. The enemy swarms them and kills them off. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They're they're already pretty cruel, um, and on harder difficulties, we plan to make them much more cruel. They're they're gonna be, they're gonna actually like make sacrifices just to go after a, a squad with more healers, for example. They're gonna be really mean and really clever. Oh. <laughs> uh... One thing I want to talk about, the Ogre Battle references. I'm a huge Ogre Battle fan, Tactics Server, Ogre Battle 64. Uh, so that right on. Uh, but one thing, I, the comparison. So the combat, for, for you, those of you who may not know, you instead of just having one character be a, a squad, you, you basically have the character as like a leader, and then you fill in that group with up to eight other uh, units. Uh, and the, that party can expand bigger if that leader has a higher leadership st uh, rating and if your units have a lower uh, a higher loyalty uh, the, their cost will be less to, for that leadership so you can yeah. you can grow your team I, I really like that that's a really cool mechanic with that leadership I, I like that a lot uh, something new a new wrinkle though one thing I wanted yeah. to ask is w about the positioning in the three rows um, why there's no different attacks for different classes in the different rows? Well, we when we designed this system, one of the one of the foundational uh, pillars of the design was that um, we know that we have squads, and so we also know that there's going to be a lot of micromanagement. Uh, so what we did was we made we made every character class, and there's a whole lot of character classes, right? Mm -hmm. um, we made them do one thing basically. And on very rare occasions, they do two things. Like you have a, a Valkyrie or a Paladin who can heal if somebody's below 50%. Otherwise, they'll attack. Uh, you have a Samurai who has a bow. So if you're from range, he uses the bow. And if you're up close, he uses his spear. Um, but the vast majority of the classes just do one thing. And so we strictly kept to that design principle of, of no matter what you do with this class, no matter where they are, um, they will just do that one thing. Am I making sense? Yes. No, it definitely so, makes sense. And then, and then the other part of why we did that, because you know, Ogre Battle like definitely has those positional changes, but the, uh, a work in progress is we have aggressive, cautious, target leader, and force surrender tactics that you can use. Currently, um, other than force surrender, force surrender is done as is. It works just fine. The other ones are just stats changes. We want to change that entirely, so they're not stat changes at all. Uh, well, probably we'll keep some, some, but they will change what type of attack everyone does. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So uh, a healer might not heal, might actually try and inflict a status debuff if you're doing a very aggressive maneuver. Um, you know, a cautious might make it so that your heavy infantry only attack once, but then they have like, like a big damage mitigation in that, in that exchange. For, for example. So that is an, a major feature plan for the future. Um, so therefore, we didn't want to add yet another layer um, of positional-based attacks onto that. We thought that that would be too confusing, too micromanagey, mm. um, knowing that the tactics eventually will change those. Okay. Yeah, because I guess one aspect of it is, well, I can protect them if I move them back, 
But if I do that, well, then they lose an attack. So it's kind of like a risk-reward thing uh, to move them around in your group. Uh, but for, for the most part right now, positioning is just more of who's protected from melee attacks, right? It's kind of the, the way you look at it. Right. And, and there's a couple other th considerations there. Like if you are going up against a lot of fire mages, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you can kind of assemble, <clears throat> assemble yourself in a thin line. Because they, you know, they sideswipe. They're, you know, <clears throat> if you have your guys arranged in a, in a nice and neat row for them to burn down, right? You know what I mean. So, yes. you can look at the map beforehand and see, oh, there's a bunch of fire mages here. So I'm going to instead of being a wide, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and you know instead of being two three columns, I'll be two columns, so that the, those fire skills only hit two at a time or one at a time, right? Right. So most units get two attacks, right? Two rounds of attacks. I think some, uh, the gunner initially only get one unless you, you spec him out. Uh, yep. Was there any consideration with some of these upgrade classes to, you know, a la Ogre Battle where they get two three attacks instead of two or one in group one or something that they upgrades it? Anything <clears> like that? Yeah, so that's another, yep, another feature of the Ogre Battle series that we're aware of that we... Um, Deliberately did not want to include because we have the morale feature, uh, which, uh, as you've probably experienced already, when it's a little bit high or very high, you have an increasing chance of extra attacks. Yes. And so, we didn't want to then trivialize that feature by, you know, just giving a whole bunch of extra attacks to a class. So the extra attacks, do you get them if your morale is just high, or do you get them if your morale is higher, than, much higher than the enemy? You get them if it's high. It doesn't. It doesn't consider the the uh, difference. And and by virtue, um, the enemy also has a chance for high, uh, high morale, extra attacks. Okay, interesting. So uh, another thing I noticed too, uh, the way you have combat, it's not done by an initiative or a speed rating. Uh, kind of you know, fire. It's more fire emblem. Like your side gets to go, their side gets to go in that regard. Right. But also yeah. even in battle, the attacker always attacks first. So it's kind of like an attacker's advantage I've noticed because. Um, just to give our listeners uh, perspective, an ogre battle, it feels like, unless you just have a superpower squad, it feels like you got to battle each other multiple times before you really start killing each other. And this one, uh, in Symphonies of War, um, it feels like more Fire Emblem-like, where you attack them, you do a lot of damage, and you can easily wipe their squad out in one attack or, or, or two two attacks, maybe three attacks most. Uh, is that mm. part, that designs... I guess fill us in on some of that design decision and, and some of the thoughts you had behind that. So that's an ongoing part. I mean, we we are probably going to continue to do um, balance patches that address the intended amount of exchanges um, that we want players to do. Um, that said, you know, with the Steam review rating the way it is, mm -hmm. we're very cautious to mess with it. I mean, um, we, we really don't want to you know, the people have spoken. They're, the secret sauce is in, right? So if we change it, they might, you know, oh, this game was good, now it's not. Thumbs down, right? So, um, but I think there's definitely an ongoing uh, precedent for us taking an ongoing look at how many volleys it takes for that combat to resolve, knowing that there is such a heavy um, advantage to, you know, whoever's phase it is. Um, you will find that if you don't properly prepare the enemy phase, 
um, advantage that phase. And then, you know, on higher difficulty levels with permadeath on, you know, I, I've, I've gotten myself into situations where, like, oh, never mind. I just lost half my guys. <laughs> oh, it's definitely easy to lose your guys in that regard. That's for, especially yeah, when you're yeah, fighting, just... like, cannons and gunners. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If they, yeah, especially firearms troops that have the initiative, uh, just don't be on the wrong side of those ever, and you'll you're fine. Okay, yeah. I did. I guess I didn't mean that to sound even as a criticism, more of a uh, the des- what was the thought process and the design decision? Because oh yeah, sure. I think the thought process was was uh, no, I didn't think it as criticism. Um, I, I saw it as like that is kind of one of the fundamental core loops of Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. Um, that we didn't deliberately remove um and there is so in in ogre battle you know you have this the uh, agility stat which does kind of uh mix up who gets to go first um in in this game we didn't have that we had basically it's a volley based system so you have like your archers and, and mages go first and then your melee goes um so yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the way it turned out. <laughs> and um, I think in the future, I think players should try to ex- expect um, that we will most likely rein in some of these really, really powerful offensive tactics that the player can do if they mass a certain amount of units, which right now looks to be dragons and mages that just get... Um, if you have two to three in a squad... They're hard to get. I mean, they're 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 expensive late game units with rare resources that are required. But once you do get, you know, three of them in one squad, the they they just steamroll stuff really hard, you know. And uh, and the enemy also has some squads that have three mages and three dragons in them too, and they they are really tough to take down. So, um, I think in the future. What's the punchline here? It's probably we will rein in some of those super overpowered like mass tactics, um, and or increase the just the max HP of enemies on higher difficulties, just so that um, it's a little bit more difficult to alpha strike your way to victory every single time. Okay, yeah, I I want to say like uh, I have some mages in my parties, and when you really upgrade them, uh, I, I they're very satisfying to use. So uh, I think my ice mage just goes and just blasts people, and the, the you know the the animations that come up are pretty cool. And I got a kick out of the first time that happened. And they they are pretty. Just that one decimates some groups sometimes by by itself. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I think the, some of my favorite animations are the are the, the mages. I love especially the fire mage. How he does that yeah. that swipe, and then the and then the wall of fire goes across. Um, I get to brag a little bit about that because I didn't do it. That was that was an extremely <laughs> talented sprite artist that made that. Yeah. No, yeah, and uh, I saw some some talk, I guess, and uh, even in the Discord today and your your dev logs that I guess there's been a criticism on the portraits and and we're talking about art and such and I, I I do like the sprite work. It's really good. I really one of the things I really love and it, it kind of reminds me of. Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics, some of the the background arts and like the, I think there's one on like an inn maybe or they're, they're like around a bar, and a few others. I, I really like some of those background still art pieces and and the sprite works pretty good. But can you uh, comment on some on some of the art direction changes you're talking about? 
Well, so the the portraits. Um, have you you've heard of Legends of Runeterra? And I'm I'm sure you've heard of League of Legends. Yes. So the, the guy who did the portraits actually does splash screens for those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and but see, he did them like six years ago, <laughs> before he started working on those those games. And so there is a, I think a skill gap between him and now. That's why he. Um, Eventually, just stopped working for me as a contractor because he got those jobs, right? Right. Um, but um, I think there there is a kind of an inconsistency. Like I think the um, uh, female heroine um, sprite is an example of one that looks great. I love how that one looks. Um, and then you have some others that aren't quite as quality as her. Uh, and so that's my personal biggest gripe with how our portraits are now is just the inconsistency. Um, some folks are saying that the the stylistic clash, um, you know that that can I will admit can get a tad, uh, like, well you know it's a portrait suite. Like how many games completely replace their portraits? Right? It's it's a quite an expensive and time consuming an endeavor. You know, mostly time consuming at this point because it would take three six months at least right. uh, to get that sort of job done. So. Um, so it's mostly consideration for the future and looking at the different types of, of, you know, of art styles. Like the, these portraits are painterly. Um, they're not line art. They're not cell shaded. They're just like, you know, you take a really, really, really high resolution painterly base, which is like 5,000 pixels tall. And then you, um, interpolate it down to, to squeeze it into the game. Right. And I think a, a lot of the original quality kind of gets lost. Whereas if you go with a line art style, um, or a cell shaded style, um, then it looks more video gamey, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that's the word I want to go with because people call it pixelated. Well, well, you don't really want it to be pixelated uh, or sharp. Well, sometimes sharp is not good, you know. So what we're looking for is like video gamey, right? <laughs> um, an example is Path of Radiance, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. It has very much a line art style. It's not anime. It's just the, the like the Fire Emblem style, right? Um, cartoony, I think, would be another good descriptor of that. So, um, and that would much more closely match the style of the animated sprites, which nobody doesn't like. Those everyone's gaga over those. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely good. And I, I would say, from my point of view, I don't think the portraits are bad on their own by any means. It just I can't see where it does feel like a little bit of a clash sometimes or. Or maybe at first it's a little more like, oh, that's kind of that kind of gets catches you off guard. But now that I've been playing the game, I don't even really notice it anymore. So I think maybe it's just more yeah. Of a impression. A lot of people have said the same thing. Now they're used to it. So now I'm like, hey, if we actually, you know, we're, we're going to be looking here. If we found that perfect artist who can do those line art portraits, mm-hmm. and say we actually redid the ones from this game, I think at this point it's too late. I think people are, would actually be like, uh, no, we liked the old ones. <laughs> so. So, but, uh, yeah. one other thing I was going to ask, I haven't seen much of you yet. Do you have any plans, maybe in this one or future, or, or maybe I'm, I'm missing it. Is there any like secrets or unlockables or kind of things to find? Do you, did you have any of that? Is it more just kind of a straightforward, uh, game? Well, so the, the, uh, unique mercenaries, hold on a second. <clears throat> the unique mercenaries are kind of a, Pokemon gotta catch them all situation. There's a whole bunch of them in there, and you can potentially not find all of them in one run. Uh, so that's kind of a 
a little bit of RG based, like what am I going to get? Um, the There's two different endings with a whole bunch of different outcomes based on how you paired off your characters. So there's a little bit more of a kind of discover, discoverables, I would say. Right. Um, you know, in terms of like secret classes, um, not really. I mean, the, there's unlockables like the firearms tree and the dragon rider tree, which are you know explicitly told to you in the tech tree. Um, yes. So no, not not in the traditional sense in terms of secrets, um, but uh, it's it's really more just there's a, just a giant amount of stuff that you can get that you won't necessarily get in every play, you know. Um, some folks might call it a crapshoot. <laughs> I like to call it just more of a fun gambling aspect. You know, like you'll get that, um, you'll get Cloud Render Athelis, which is one of the best unique mercenaries, and like mission six. Um, and he's a silver dragon rider with cra- crazy high stats. So, you know, he will completely change the game for you for many, many missions. And, um, or sometimes you'll never see him, right? So, nope, I never saw, I did not get him in my playthrough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very rare, very rare. So no ogre battle treasure findouts, huh? <laughs> uh, you know, oh, just like like the ones that don't even show up on the map. Yeah. No, nothing like that. You you can see you can see them all. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned earlier the reception has been great. I think as of today, it's overwhelming positive reviews on Steam. Um, yep. I think thirteen hundred reviews. Uh, so you've mentioned how overall has the reception been for you and. You know, obviously, don't divulge sales numbers, but has it met expectations? Far exceeded? Maybe you hoped it was better. What What is your feeling right now? Um, exceeded expectations, for sure. Awesome. Um, yeah. Um, the 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 Steam reviews. So my, my other game that did somewhat well is called Skyborne. It's a JRPG from back in way in ancient history, like in 2012. We put it on Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, still has about 500 reviews at like around 90, 80, 80 to 90% positive. Um, so a, a small hit, but not, not a hit like this. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely shocked at, um, the reception that this game has got, but now knowing now that there's so many people that were just starving for ogre battle style, um, you know, squad based auto battler for loop, um, I guess. I guess there was just a starved market, you know? I mean, if you think about it, there really hasn't been a great deal of big de- development studio love given to this genre at all. Uh, and even looking at Fire Emblem, even though this is, I think, further from Fire Emblem than it is close to Ogre Battle, even Fire Emblem is kind of getting away from I, what I consider peak Fire Emblem. You know, my, my favorite Fire Emblem entries are a little bit in the past, um, Awakening, Path of Radiance, uh, Radiant Dawn, and Genealogy, of course. That's ancient, very ancient Fire Emblem. But, you know, the, uh, the Three Houses didn't really resonate with me. And then the um, game that they have coming out in four days, I believe, is a warrior-style game, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I guess I'm a, I'm a boomer as far as gamer ages go, but uh, definitely doesn't resonate with me now. I'm not a reflex gamer anymore. So, um yeah, I guess just this whole thing has been not neglected entirely, but certainly not given enough love by established studios. And so we kind of slid into that niche at just the right time. And we're super stoked, and we're 
we're definitely going to embrace that. And I want people to know that um, we're because of the reception, because of your support, um, you know, we are going to do a lot more improvements to Symphony of War One than we had originally planned. Like we're going to continue to um, we're going to continue to do what we originally planned, but we're going to, we're definitely going to add some more campaigns, like DLC campaigns in the future. You know, um, game modes are are coming, like post game. New Game Plus type stuff. We don't know exactly how we're going to do that, but that's going to be just part of the uh, the free regular uh, patch updates, content updates. But um, whole new campaigns, like an, an entirely different main story, um, which is obviously a much bigger undertaking. Um, we, I did not plan on doing one of those, mm -hmm. but we, I am definitely am now. You know, I think it's just it's very appropriate. So, um, so I, I guess that would be my opportunity to thank the community. Profusely, it's it's because of you, um, and because of your support that we can make Symphony of War um, a, a, a robust, ongoing series. So I guess you're kind of on like this developer high, right? You, you created this thing years, and people like it. I guess there's not much more rewarding than that, huh? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, you don't go into indie game development thinking you're gonna like, <laughs> like make a whole bunch of money. You know, you, you go into it, you know, maybe there's a game that you wish somebody else had made and it just didn't get made ever. And so you're like, screw it, I will make it, right? And that's that's actually kind of the, one of the reasons behind this game is, you know, it doesn't exist, so let's just make it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, getting getting people saying that, like, oh, this scratch is an itch I haven't had and I, I didn't even know I had, <laughs> or, like, I... I haven't had an ogre battle type experience for years. Thank you. Finally, you made this. That's so rewarding. That's huge. So, I, know, I could go on forever about about just that, about hearing <laughs> hearing the impact on people. But I, I will stop myself. Yeah. So I I've seen you very much engaged in the community Discord with all the fans that have jumped on, and uh, even since I joined up there, you know. Every day that general thing gets spanned with new people coming in, new people coming in, so it's really catching on and spreading. What would you attribute the the popularity? It's got. I know indies have a hard time, you know, seeing, you know, getting noticed on Steam. There's just so many games that get on Steam. What, oh, yeah. How how did how did Symphony of War catch on? You think? Um, well, I, I have to give props to our publisher partner, Freedom Games, on this um, in terms of how. Uh, it was released and when it was released um, during that IGN spot, um, it was just it was a surprise launch, and um, which goes against the instinct of a lot of in established industry standards. But we just decided to do it and kind of not so much a hail mary as much as a a, a calculated risk, right? Right. Um, and so we we embraced that and we did it. Um, I do also think that. Um, it's it's literally just an underserved market uh, that was out there. They were hungry for something like this, and um, you know, frankly, I gotta I gotta admit when when I first got my hands on the engine, when we we finally were able to put it into a playable thing, I was like, uh, "This is really fun." <laughs> like, I didn't even expect it to be like so. It, like just the fact that you don't have to control the battles, you just set it up in the home base phase and then you just like watch it play out and it plays out in a way where you can actually make sense of what's happening. It's, you know, advanced wars, 
like it it's kind of just like a big blah like it just kind of you know you clash you can tell what's happening but it's not like turn by turn okay this happened and this happened what what we've done it's it's fast paced but you can still tell okay my mages did this my archers did this and then my melee troops did this right mm -hmm. um so it was it was almost like a happy accident like I, mithrin the, the partner i was like dude this is fun <laughs> and this was like maybe a year before we launched um we we're in the very very early phase of the actual game coming together so um call it a happy accident if you want i, I don't care that's fine <laughs> just no, that's turned a, out yeah that's awesome man it's uh it's kind of a well, a lot of gamers dreams to make a game that they love a passion project that's also successful right so it's great to hear and congrats on that yeah um so you started answering some of my my future questions already uh which is what's next for for uh, Symphony of War or this one and uh, a lot of things people are gonna ask console release is it just gonna stay on Steam do you have other platforms you're you're you get you might be looking to, to explore yeah the, so that's killing me we're we're really trying to find um so so we're currently at a bit of a dead end on on console release it would be on Switch and and it's I think it would do very well. It functioned very well on Switch. Um, we're currently trying to figure out how to bridge the gap between those systems. And uh, I very much hope for a miracle breakthrough on that one. Um, I would say people should expect no earlier than mid-2023 for a Switch release. So don't wait for Switch. <laughs> Just buy it on PC. Um, but uh, if we can, absolutely. We will pour you know, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into a Switch release. Uh, and, you know, I guess the, the, the silver lining there is it'll have that much more time to get, you know, bug fixes out and more, you know, quality of life features in before it hits the Switch. So um, what's, in the meantime, uh, yeah, we're continuing to work on Symphony of War 1, and the current project is the UI UX redesign. Uh, we're greatly reducing the amount of clicks you need to do um, kind of rearranging the menus. We're going to blow it up so there's more space for more information. Um, we're going to add more, uh, more you know, middle mouse functionality so that it can work on any window rather than just, because right now it's a page up, page down function. Um, we're going to add probably click and drag functionality from the base organized menu. So you can just, you know, instead of having to go into squad operations, you can just click on a guy in your reserves and just drop him off in your squad. So um, that's the major project now. And then, as I said, um, DLC uh, campaigns, something we did not plan on doing in the future, uh, but we definitely will be now. So like uh, an entire site. I'm talking like an entirely new story. Like you start from square one. Um, and that would be concurrently with post-game features using your current save. So like if you clear the game, then you can do either some kind of new game plus feature or like a um, extra hard, diff, you know, final boss mode, uh, game mode, right? right? Or some kind of sandbox mode, like an endless roguelike mode, or a like a defense mode or something like that. So, playing around with a lot of ideas on that one. So a couple things. This is maybe think to ask. Uh, back on the the Switch thing, what what's the limiting thing or the, or the struggle there is that just getting it ported over is that getting the license what would be the uh what's the setback there or the challenge yeah so so the engine so there there is a 
um, an engine layered on, on our engine that we're using um, that it seems like it's out of production at the moment. And so we would either need to revive that in order to bridge the gap between the switch, um, you know, dev kit and what we've got, um, or we would have to find a, uh, you know, like a, I guess you would call it like a port studio to pick up the pieces of that program and figure out what it does and how it works, which is difficult to do, um, or rebuild the entire game in a different engine. Oof. So. <laughs> Uh, obviously, we want the first option to happen because that's the one that's by far the easiest and prevent, presents, you know, minimal technical barriers. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, that's I gotta say that's killing me because I this game would be such a fun game on Switch, and I really want to get it on there, and I ha I can't definitively say if we can or not at this point. So. Yeah, I think it would be a hit on there, and. I It'd be, a, to me, a really good candidate to like pair up with like a limited run games for like a physical release and that kind of extra promotion. I think that would, it's like this kind of game is made for a partnership with the people like limited run, at least in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Uh, so you talked about these updates and change. I've also heard some, you talking some about your plans for uh, Symphony of War 2. Um, so I got, I guess, a couple questions there. Where do you do the cutoff between enhancing or adding to one instead of just pushing that effort into the second game? <clears throat> yeah, we'll have to make that call. That call. Um, in terms of adding to one, I think we are going to cut it off at basically the, the game modes and the quality of life changes that we wanted to put, to put in in the first place before launch. Um, you know, the, the UI UX redesign, the uh, sandbox slash new game game modes, um, that sort of thing. Um, and then I already actually have a whole bunch of the script for Symphony of War 2 and a lot of the cutscenes already done. So, but there are some unit types, and I will, I guess I will tease this, undead, uh, mm -hmm. that don't exist in Symphony of War 1 that we'd like to possibly include in just a Aiden story or an entirely new campaign in Symphony of War 1 just to be able to introduce that entirely new meta mm -hmm. um, in Symphony of War 1 so that it can already be trained up in the player base for Symphony of War 2 without having to like specifically focus on an undead part of the Symphony of War 2 main story. Is that making sense? It does. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, so if you're to, uh, so these new stories in the second, would you say they would be related to the first game and just gameplay or would these stories be you know sequels or in the same world how, how do you envision that happening um i good question so the second game um what i've already made actually takes place about 100 years after the end of this game so you don't see you know the characters that exist in this game have aged out of <laughs> that timeline um but it is a direct timeline sequel, so it's, I guess it's, you, you could call it a sequel series rather than a direct sequel. Does that make sense? Yes. So, um, and we're going to try our best not to retcon very much. Uh, the, the Symphony of War 1 is 
in the same game universe as all of our past games, but it's been retconned crazily to adapt to what we wanted to do in this game. So we'll try and keep that to a minimum for the next one. Okay. And then how do you avoid stealing or, or stealing ideas or borrowing from your, say, your DLC campaigns versus the storyline you have in mind for two and tying those all together? What, what's your thought process or strategy on that? Um, well, like I said, with the, the DLC that I want to do on Symphony of War 1, it's just, I mean, I haven't even written it yet. It's just going to be entirely, um, you know, maybe I could take advantage of the fact that Symphony of War 2 does start 100 years after Symphony of War 1 ends. Uh, so a lot of things can happen in between there that sure. don't necessarily need to define what happens in the future of the game world. Okay. And I guess uh, one of my, my last questions here... Um... So you, you've seen a lot of feedback in Symphony of War 1, or I guess, what are some of the things, besides some of the things maybe I've asked that echo feedback you've heard elsewhere, but what are some of the things you've heard that, things they like, things they'd like to change that you're considering uh, doing updates on? Um, it's, it's largely been um, UI UX feedback that people are asking for, and that is our focus right now. Um, and some folks have asked for like new game plus, I don't think we're actually going to end up doing a, a traditional straight up new game plus where you just replay the exact same campaign, but everyone's levels are higher. Um, we want to do something that is, um, actually a sandbox mode that is in the main campaign. Uh, so let's say you wanted to train up some of your, like your B list squads, um, or your younger squads. Um, you could have some kind of skirmish or barracks training mode um, that wouldn't be necessarily a way to grind per se, because we don't like we don't like making players feel obligated to grind, as that shows that maybe there's a weakness in the core gameplay. Um, we want it to be like an extra thing that you want to just do. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So like maybe it restricts you from bringing unique characters into it. Um, that typically are going to be very powerful kind of out of the gate, um, like you see with your Dianas and your Lysanders and your Beatrices. Um, so maybe you could just be restricted from bringing those. We haven't really figured out the details yet, but it, it's going to be not something that you need to wait to beat the game to do. It's going to be part of just your first play. You know, like you go into your home base, I've got my arena tokens, maybe I want to do that, or maybe I want to do the skirmish mode and train up some of my... Um, lagging squads and, and maybe I'll just do that you know right okay what about you since you've already started on the second one or some ideas with it well, any things you can share as far as major gameplay changes or units that you're adding or is it going to be more of more of like the same of one with new story and assets or do you do you feel like you're building upon the gameplay and classes or, or, or just changing things up so the major addition to any DLC we do with Symphony of War 1 would be new classes and a new story. Okay. Uh, the gameplay loop, um, I don't really want to mess with that too much. It is kind of the secret sauce that people are liking. Um, but the, the fact that new units are coming in do kind of inherently present a change in the gameplay meta. Um, you know, like I said, and I've been open with this in a Discord, Undead is what we want to add. Um, and so with Undead, you have, you know, like you've played Heroes of Might, Might and Magic? Yes. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Both me and the other developer are huge undead Heroes of Might and Magic nerds. And so we, we kind of want to like draw. What's that? <laughs> it says Sandro. He was always the undead hero I picked in Heroes of Might and Magic. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember who which hero I picked. I, I 
I think I, I change between the ones that give you better necromancy and then the ones that just have better active magic. <laughs> I just I'd like to mix it up a little bit, but um, for this one, we want to take a lot of cues from that, and that you know you're raising an army of skeletons from the things that you kill, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. um, and so I think how it would work, you would have a necromancer, and then you would have a skeleton minion of that necromancer in a different tile, and then as you kill stuff, you add more um, participants to that skeleton tile. So it becomes two skeletons, three skeletons, uh, as you kill stuff, which actually presents a very interesting counter to the surrender meta, which exists now. Because um, if you surrender somebody, you can't kill them and take their bodies and make them into skeletons, <laughs> right? So, right. Um, so I think that just the fact that, you know, we would add a necromancer and skeleton minions would present an entirely new meta of gameplay. So would this be you're the bad guy or would you still be kind of like the hero protagonist in a, in a story? Like um, this? I, so I think what we would, you'd still be the hero, but you would be facing off against certainly a lot of these undead. And then surely you would be given the option to make your own undead units. Okay. Uh, so that's for one, uh, but for say symphony of war two, you'd have a, maybe a little more agency to make changes if you, if you felt like it, right. Is, is that being considered at all? Yeah. Or do you feel like it's going to be more of one again with, with some new stuff enhanced? <clears throat> yeah. So it's, it's still, I think we're probably never going to mess with that, that core loop. Mm -hmm. um, but we're just going to continue to add more dimensions to it for symphony of war two. I actually have naval ships that I wanted to get in there. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, you've got rivers, and lakes in a lot of the maps in Symphony of War 1. Um, in Symphony of War 2, I'm going to add more maps where you've got the open sea, hmm. and you'll be able to have naval ships that go in um, that you can actually design um, and customize those, just like you can design and customize your squads. And, you know, they can carry squads across the water. They can bombard, of course, um, and they can shoot at other ships. So, And i I got I to gotta wrap it up in about one minute. Do you have any... Final things you want to get in? No, uh, I, I that that'll that'll do it then. Um, I definitely appreciate your time, Phil. Uh, again, Phil of yeah. Dancing Dragon Games, Phil Hamilton. Uh, Symphony of War: The Nephilim Saga is currently on Steam right now. Uh, go in and check it out, and we'll hear further news. Uh, you can follow them on their Discord. Uh, go on their website and. Uh, follow in for further news on updates to this game and any news for a future uh, Symphony of War 2. Right on. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.